Good evening, everyone. It's great to see you here tonight. So I've been wearing this thing like you for a lot of, long time now, right? Craziness. And uh, I have these Zoom meetings with uh, a group of pastors that are from all over the country. And so usually they're looking at me like this, right? And the other day the guy says, I've been for the last six months thinking you're wearing a turtleneck in the summertime. <laughs> nah, nah, not me. But anyways, I'm very glad you're with us tonight here at First Christian Church. For those of you who are guests, my name is Wayne, and I count it a privilege that we're joining together. If you're with us online or perhaps in the East Auditorium, uh, again, welcome to all of you as well. And uh, we're going to spend some time together. If you grab a Bible, please, maybe in your smartphone or you perhaps you brought one with you. Online, you could grab it uh, through the computer. We're going to read from Acts chapter 16. But before we get to Acts 16, just a note. Uh, today is August 8th. And uh, it was 39 years ago on a Saturday that a young lady decided that I'd uh, be allowed to be her husband. And uh, so we've made it for 39 years today. Happy anniversary, Les. All right, Acts chapter 16. I'd like to start straight off this, this evening by uh, reading together, beginning in verse 6, okay? So the book of Acts is the story of the early church. This is after Jesus has died and resurrected, gone to heaven, and his disciples are spreading the story of Jesus literally around the world. We read this. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and this is what's interesting, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. So God said, mm -mm, don't be preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Semarathus, Semarath, pardon me, Semeth Ras. You can make up however you want to say it, okay? <laughs> and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. Keep your Bible open. We're going to come back to it in just a minute or two. But if you're unfamiliar with uh, the story of Scripture, and perhaps this particular story, let me give you a, a brief background. Paul, the fellow who's mentioned in verse 6, he had been a man of high standing in the Jewish community. And while Jesus is alive, and in the years immediately following that, he was violently opposed to Christianity. And scripture points out that he was involved in bringing great harm to the early church not long after Jesus' resurrection. In fact, it appears that he helped arrange for a number of Christians to be murdered. The first martyr came about. Stephen was martyred with Paul right there watching the whole scene. However, one day he met Jesus. Paul was on a recruiting trip in which he was looking for people who would join with him in persecuting Christians. And as he's on this trip, he, met, he meets the resurrected Christ. He was dramatically changed and he soon became Christianity's most important and powerful cheerleader in many ways of the early church, at least as far as we understand it from what we see written in the New Testament. And the result is that apart from Jesus, he is probably, Paul is probably the most significant figure in early Christianity that we know of. 
And after his conversion, he would gather a few trusted friends and he would set out from time to time on so-called missionary journeys, traveling to places where the message of Christ had never been heard, and then he would preach, he would establish a church, and then he'd move on to a new place. In Acts 16, this passage of scripture that we've been looking at, it details one of those journeys commonly known as the second missionary journey. And uh, you can see how he started in Jerusalem. Here it is, he starts in Jerusalem, down in the lower right-hand side, and then he goes up through Antioch, up through Galatia. We read about this in the passage of Scripture we read. He gets all the way to um, where this says, oh, we're going to go one way. We're going to go up north into Asia. Nope. And the long story short is that they ended up planning to go east into Asia, but for some reason, God wouldn't let them go there. Then they said, we'll go north. And once again, the Spirit of God said no, and they end up in Troas out on the coast. And I guess so you would ask, well, why are we examining this story today when it comes to recalculating? After all, that is the, the sermon series we're in the middle of right now. And this recalculating sermon series, is, series it focuses on um, life moments or periods of life, if you will, when you've got one plan in place and something then comes up and the life plan has to move to a new calculation, a recalculation. Does that sound familiar to anyone for 2020? I mean, 2020, COVID-19, has messed with your plans, with my plans, absolutely for certain. And I would suspect that as you've dealt with COVID-19, some issues have come up. Now, some of them might have been tremendous joy, unexperienced, unexpected moments of joy that you didn't know. Maybe like, say for example, if a year ago, if you're a young, young person, uh, there was no plan, say, for you to have a baby. And yet somewhere at the beginning of 2020, something happened. Well, we, know what, we won't go there, but nonetheless, the next thing you know, you're having a baby. And you go, oh man, this is really wonderful. That's cool. Or maybe the pregnancy. I have some friends, uh, there's some people, uh, a young lady on staff, and the pregnancy is coming to a close very quickly here. And so you go, well, that's very cool. But maybe, maybe the change that's come your way this year has not been so pleasant or welcomed. Perhaps there's been a change at work and you're not too thrilled at the new responsibilities or perhaps the lack of responsibilities that have come along as a result of the change and people working from home and how all that's happened. Perhaps your health has taken a sudden downturn and uh, you're actually wondering, will I even see 2021? What will it look like? And then, who are we kidding? On the top of all of that, there is this COVID business, a disease which, in my opinion, originates in the pit of hell. Because what has it brought to us as the people of our community and our church or to the people of the world? It's brought struggle and pain economic turmoil, educational havoc, and death. It's a change. A year ago, I had no idea I'd be doing this. It's a recalculation. And we all know it's come without warning. 
And what are we to do, not only with COVID, but these other things that come along unexpectedly? I mean, Paul and his traveling band, they're headed one direction, and then suddenly God says, mm, I want you to go that way. I'll tell you this, friends, COVID has messed with my head. Has it messed with your head? It's messed, frankly, with my ministry. It's messed with our ministry. How are we going to respond? Now that we know it's not just a passing fad. I'm not into fads. I'm really not into this fad. Ray Ortland, who's up, He's an elderly guy now. He's a well-known pastor from California that I've followed for many years. Just read some of his books and just went to hear him at a conference in the mid-80s and so forth. He said this, if we pastors and our churches get through this only to return to normal with a sigh of relief but without repentance, without prayer, without courage, we will have wasted our historic moment. And then, what more will the Lord have to do to shake us awake? In other words, how will God use this mess and change the journey of 2020? After all, if you go back to Acts 16, something very cool came along as a result of this business that we're going to go north, we're going to go east. Oh, no, you're not. You're going to go west. You're going to go down to Troas and you're going to get on a ship a leaky ancient wooden ship that you don't know if it's going to get across the sea and you're going to go to Philippi. Look with me, verse 11, again. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for, and there's that word I can't pronounce again. And the next day, we went to Naples. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there for several days. So God has pushed them, if you will, from going east and north to go west, and look what's happened when they get to Philippi, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there, and one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And watch what happens. With their situation and their travels and their plans completely disoriented, recalculated, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Paul's group says, we're going to go this way. But God says, mm -hmm, you're going this way. And they get to Philippi and they sit down at the local river, get into a conversation with some folk there. And it's not long till those people convert to Christianity. And if you keep reading the story, tremendous congregation was birthed there. Later on, we have the letter that Paul wrote to the congregation at Philippi. It's called Philippians. What do we say here? We say that this shift, this change in Paul's journey brought glory to God. And it also brought people to Christ. All the effort that they went to, all the wonderings about striving to do as God desired, the change-ups, the questions, they surely had some debates. Paul, are you really certain you heard that some, in a dream, in a vision, some guy from Macedonia saying, come over here? All those debates, God used it all. 
the journey changed, and great good came along. You know, this idea of journey is a um, common theme in Scripture. There's lots of examples of it. Think of the early Israelites, the patriarchs of the Israelite nation. They would go on these God-directed journeys where sometimes they didn't even know the final destination, like Abram, or otherwise known as Abraham. The scriptures tell us that he left his father's place in Ur, and he ended up in Canaan, and his God-directed journey led him to eventually become the father of the Jewish nation. Man, that was a change-up. Or a few years later, fellow by the name of Moses, does that name ring a bell? Prince of Egypt? After he was an adult, he journeyed to, the, to Midian. He was in the Midian Desert for 40 years. And only after being wandering through the Midian Desert for 40 years was he able to step into the leadership of the Israelite nation as they were escaping from slavery in Egypt to lead them on a journey for another 40 years. And so he had so many recalculations along his life that he eventually, when he had a son in Midian, you know what he did? He named that little boy Gershon, which means a sojourner there, because he, re he says in Exodus chapter 22, I've been a traveler in a foreign land. I never really knew exactly where I was gonna go next. I had to keep pushing forward, I had to take another step. And if you take a few steps later into Moses' life, where he begins to actually lead the nation of the people of Israel, you find all sorts of recalculations in their journeys. I mean, yeah, they escaped 400 years of slavery in Egypt. To do what? To walk around in the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula for a whole generation. And every day, events and situations I mean, they're, they're recalculating every day where they're going to drive a tent peg. I mean, they're, they're setting up camp on a regular basis. We like to say, well, this is my home, and i am going to got a roof over my head, and I'm going to stay here. They didn't get to have that. In fact, we think that probably 1 million to 1.3 million people were the slaves that escaped Egypt. And uh, of those many thousands upon thousands of people, do you know only two of them actually made it? through the peninsula, through the Sinai Desert, into the Promised Land, only two. Surely that was a recalculation. What do you mean? I left Egypt and I thought I was going to get to Canaan and you mean my kids are going to get there and not me? I can imagine some mother, some father saying, listen, you kids, I've been, wor I've been working and walking for the last 40 years. I was working my finger to the bone in Egypt, and I've been walking my rear end off. Well, I did, I, maybe they didn't say that. But I've been doing this for a really long time. And now I'm learning I'm not even going to get to see Canaan. You kids are going to be the ones who go there. Don't mess it up. <laughs> you know, friends, if you're taking a journey, it implies this. It implies that you're going to be uprooted. There's going to be some detachment. And you're going to have to leave in order to arrive. It usually means unexpected changes. 
And I would suggest, friends, the, the question is not whether you and I are on this kind of recalculating journey during this pandemic. More so, the question is this. Can we find God's direction and voice in this recalculation? Because it's here. I've had, um, surprisingly, a number of conversations along that. People in my office, um, of our congregation of late, Many people striving to hear um, God's voice in the midst of these recalculations. And they, they seem to have some common questions, and I've come up with a common response. And could I give you my response to the questions about how am I supposed to redo this? And how, I'm, I'm just, it's not, I'm not settled. Well, a common response on my part would say, well, how are you doing with holy discontent? What's holy discontent? Well, here we are in 2020. I want you to imagine going back many years, many years, back to the 1840s. You're a single person. You spent some time in Illinois. Originally, you would have come from New Jersey, according to the story that I'm going to tell you. You're seeking fortune and fame. You're seeking a new life. And in 1844, you find yourself in Illinois. You say, "Um, this isn't going to happen here. I'm going to go west. I hear there's something really intriguing about of land available on the other side of the Rockies out in Oregon. And so you're going to go to Oregon and you buy yourself a good horse and a great saddle. And uh, you set out on what is immediately quite apparent to you, a reasonable, comfortable journey of many months. The The saddle fits you well. The horse's gait, it's pleasant. And it's so pleasant, you just kind of trekking along west from Illinois that you and the horse are getting along. You know what you name your horse? Comfort. And you and Comfort, you're going to go a long way, all the way to Oregon. However, somewhere on the other side of Kansas City, you know where the plains begin to give way to the mountains and you're just about to go take a little trek, take a little divot, if you will, and begin to head to the northwest, your horse, Comfort, develops a limp. And the saddle, there's a problem with the saddle too now. It's not quite so comfortable any longer. There's a burr under the saddle, and you'd plan to partner with Comfort for many hundreds of miles yet, but the discomfort is causing you to change your plans. And it's obvious that comfort the horse and your saddle aren't going to get you to Oregon. You're not going to get to go northwest because the only thing that you can come up with as you leave comfort behind is you settle into a wagon trail that's just said, hey, we're not, no, we're not going to Oregon. We're going to a little town in California called Colomo. You have no choice. You're going to go with them. They have a horse. They want you to ride to California for them as they're going and making their way that way. The horse's name, adventure. And adventure is not like comfort at all. The gait is awkward. You're forever trying to get the saddle straight. It doesn't fit quite properly. It's, it's very uncomfortable. And you're not headed to the place you had planned. But there's no choice. You arrive in Colomo, California in 1847. You meet a guy named James Marshall. And he chooses you to be his working partner. And together on January 24th, 1848, you two discover gold in the American River outside Coloma in California. Enough word that enough gold that word gets out, 
and the California gold rush is underway. What got you there? Not comfort. You had to get off your horse comfort and settle into a new saddle on a horse called adventure because God had better plans in place. You know, friends, sometimes, sometimes God gets us to a new place of his calling, a new place of his adventures, simply through discomfort of where we are right now. Because perhaps when we're comfortable, we won't go there. Holy discomfort brings us to a place of a willingness for new adventures to say, the saddle doesn't fit anymore, or maybe it's a case that you go, man, situation at work isn't quite right anymore. And I would ask, is it the work has changed, or maybe you've grown, and you go, um, the discomfort is not what's happened at work, but what's happened in me. Or maybe there's a relationship that's not so comfortable anymore, and you go, well, it's not that that person has changed, but I've changed, and God's calling me to a new space. You're in a house, and you go, it just doesn't fit who we are anymore. And it used to, but there's something uncomfortable about it. What is that? Is that God calling you to a new space? We have to recalculate. I'll be back in a moment to chat a little bit more about this, but first, I want you to watch and listen to those, some people from our congregation who have learned this lesson about leaving comfort behind in order to take on adventure. Watch this. Several years ago, I, Dave specifically had this moment where he really felt led that our family should um, keep the Sabbath um, as it's talked about in the, in the scripture. Through that, that obedience and, and walking in what he thought was best for our family and ultimately what God, God thought was best for our family. It's been it's been a huge blessing. I was working as a hygienist and um, was really just feeling um, not happy in my job anymore and found out that it, the um, opening for the pre-K director here at church had opened up and really thought maybe that was something I should entertain. But as someone who had sworn they were never going into ministry, I thought, no. I had been working as a registered dietitian for 19 years and I left my job. There was um, a position opening for a children's ministry director. I'm like, ooh, that sounds like fun. I very clearly and plainly heard God call me to go back to school and specifically Bible college. At the time, I was working as a North American systems engineering manager for a software company. So that really didn't make a lot of sense to me. I was out jogging and um, it was a cool night and I remember looking up at the stars and I got this sudden feeling that God was telling me I was supposed to go into ministry. I ended up going against what I thought and all of my questions and fears about going into ministry were answered and so we jumped in. Things just kept falling into place and it all worked out and then 10 years later, here we are. I finally figured I had to do it out of obedience, and so I enrolled at Lincoln Christian University. I had left my job in Springfield working for the software company and started here as care ministries pastor. There came an opportunity to work here at the church, and I've now been on staff for 13 years, and I absolutely love my job. I am doing what God created me to do, and I don't tell Pastor Wayne, but I do it for free. <laughs> My husband and I, we had been separated for three years and we are on the verge of reconciling when I had just decided that the pain had been too great and instead of working through it, that I wanted to walk away and divorce. 
I specifically heard God for the first time like he was in the car with me. He had me list my accusations to of my husband. And the Holy Spirit clearly showed me where I had did the very same things in my life, but to the Lord. He gently reminded me that he loved me in spite of, and he was not asking me to do anything more for Nate than I had received from him. It is 17 years later, and I love my husband, and I love the relationship that we have, and I have a new, renewed, respect and honor for the Lord that we serve and the love he has for me. In 2015, Mary and I felt the call to do foster care because we are aware that there are thousands of kids here in the state of Illinois that for one reason or another are not able to stay with their birth parents. And we felt like even though our family's crazy, that we would have room to do foster care for, for kids who are in that situation. My husband and I received a phone call uh, from a mutual friend about um, a young lady who was expecting a baby and she had decided to place that baby for adoption and wanted to talk with us. So we felt very called by God to have a conversation with her and um, she ultimately chose us to be um, the uh, adoptive parents of her child. We have been blessed over the last three years to be able to foster five amazing kids and we are getting ready to adopt our son Dominic here in just a couple weeks. Ultimately, God proved his faithfulness to us um, when we stepped out in obedience and did what he asked us to do, and uh, we became a forever family. I'm not suggesting, and we're not suggesting that if there's discomfort at work that we're going to be hiring you here at First Christian Church, <laughs> or that uh, you're going to be bringing somebody new to the house next week. Maybe. But the question is, if God worked in the lives of bringing adventure, if you will, into the lives of the people you just saw, recalculating, and did it in Paul's life, how can you and how can I recalculate? It starts with a readiness to listen to, to God's Spirit. I mean, think about how it worked for Paul's team. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. I suspect you're saying, well, that's Paul. I mean, he's in the Bible. The Spirit of God's going to lead him, for crying out loud. Of course he is. He had a little more clout with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't have that sort of clout. Well, do you know that Jesus said before he left this earth, he addressed that sort of concern. He said it was better for him to go to heaven because then the Holy Spirit would come for all people. That Holy Spirit is available for you today, friend. If you'd like to know more, if you'd like to know how to be a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe to make a decision for Jesus or to figure that out in the days ahead, and you'd like to say, I'd like to have some prayer or a conversation about some recalculating, then... Here's a plan for you today that you can put in place. Simply text the word Jesus, Jesus' name, to the church's main phone number, 217-875-3350. And we'll be in touch within a few hours. See, I, I would remind you, friend, that it, 
this business of recalculating and what's possible, it shouldn't be so absurd for a person of Christian faith. I mean, because think about what Christians believe. We believe that a young teenage virgin girl was able to have God's son. We believe that people can be healed. We believe in God directing the course of human history. We believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we believe that one day by following Jesus Christ, we're going to be in heaven, and that those who don't follow him are going to be headed to hell. And if we believe all that, then frankly, what's the big deal about expecting God to work supernaturally directing us through a little comfort or discomfort or some other situation that might come along? Recalculating. Perhaps we too easily assume it's for other people and not for us. And thus we don't expect it and we don't work for it. I mean, there are some things, I must tell you, there are some things that don't really need the Holy Spirit's direction or the Spirit of Jesus, if you will, to get engaged. And I mean, some things are directly answered in Scripture and, there, and so there are not a lot of questions. I mean, there's a person in front of you and you want to murder them. Okay, uh, is there a lot of question about that debate? I mean, there, you, don't, you don't have to do any recalculating about that. The Bible says no. The Bible speaks about marriage being between one man and one woman. The Bible speaks about the importance of children. It speaks of the care of the earth. It speaks of generosity and hospitality and kindness. The Bible speaks about us being people of gentleness. The Bible speaks about muzzling your tongue. It doesn't mention Facebook, but I think you should might think about that accordingly. That's why reading scripture is so essential because some decisions in life are straightforward because if you're going to walk with, walk with God, then the Bible already tells you how to approach particular dilemmas, if you will. But for the rest of life decisions and the life shifts that are coming, we have to change from a horse called comfort to adventure when you have to recalculate. You know what Christians do? Christians choose to leave comfort behind and to follow God's idea, to follow God's idea of a journey. Think again of the people of Israel. They followed God through all sorts of changes and recalculations for the 40 years in the wilderness, yes. But if you keep reading their story, through Joshua and Judges and First and Second Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, and you go through all of that, you find that there are more shifts in their national life and in their private personal lives than you can probably count. Now, their struggles may not have had a name like COVID-19, but their discomforts were probably named very similar to yours right now. Illness, the ones I mentioned at the beginning of the message. Illness and economic questions, educational chaos, career derailments, food and water concerns, safety. They lived what we live. And yet, the Bible says that wherever they went, the presence of God was a light in front of them. The presence of God, catch, the, catch this, that God's presence, the Spirit of God, was a light in front of them and a shield as a rear guard. See, in the midst of great trial and great changes and recalculations, I want you to hear what God's word for us for the people of that day because it's God's word for you this day. Look at the screen when it says this. Burst into songs of joy together. For the Lord, the Lord has comforted his people. 
The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and in the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. It doesn't matter what COVID says. Okay, why? You will not leave. You won't travel in haste or go in flight for the Lord will go before you and God will be your rear guard. In all the shifts, in all the stuff, in all the weirdness, you know what, friends? God is going in front of you. God's going behind you. That's good news for you. As a matter of fact, I'm inviting you here in the West Auditorium and the East Auditorium. And if you want to do this at the house, would you stand together? And let's read this psalm, not the, pardon me, this passage from Isaiah out loud together as a statement of what we believe that God does in our lives. Let's read it together, okay? Burst into songs of joy together, for the Lord has comforted his people. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. You will not leave or travel in haste or go in flight, for the Lord God will go before you, and God will be your rear God. Remain standing as Lissy comes to pray with us today. Father, we do come in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I confess, I just have often said, can we just get back to normal? But God, I pray that you would take me, that you would take us to a deeper place. And that we would recalculate. We would come to a place of repentance. We'd come to a place of prayer. a place of courage to follow you where you go. I pray this in the name of Jesus.